Hey, Digitally China is produced together with our friends at Radii, this awesome independent media platform. If you're interested in culture and innovation in China, you should definitely check out RadiiChina.com. They'll give you an inside look into everything from China's underground music scene to bike sharing. That's RadiiChina.com. So in previous episodes, we've talked about company culture. We've talked about the standard of working nine to nine, six days a week. We also discussed whether China is a better place for hiring tech talent than Silicon Valley, given the so-called tech cold war between the two countries. And then more recently, we did an episode about Huawei's wolf culture and covered the unique parts about the company, like their practice of using military slogans, etc. So that's why we became curious about the difference in recruiting culture and process between multinational companies and tech companies in China. Throughout the last few months, covering the tech industry from different angles, we've spoken to a lot of people and actually heard quite a lot of so-called war stories. That's why I'm very excited about this episode because we actually had an opportunity to look at it in a bit more structured way. You know, not just base everything on war stories, but actually interview a bunch of different people and really understand. Understand if Chinese tech companies differ from international companies and what the differences may be. In this episode of Digital China, we spoke to people with direct experience, recruiters, but also people who've applied and negotiated offers from different Chinese tech companies and multinational companies in China. Welcome to Digitally China, a podcast about the fascinating Chinese, Chinese tech, tech industry. industry created together with Radii. I'm Eva. I'm Jacob, and I'm Tom. So, according to various studies, China's gaming industry is now, in fact, the largest in the world. You may know their messaging app called WeChat. Chinese outbound M&A. Chinese corporates are buying international yeah. companies at record pace. The hottest phone you've probably never heard of. China's Xiaomi. Yes, it's state. It's claim to Apple's credit. Major deal over in China. You have Chinese tech giant Tencent leading an $8.6 billion acquisition to buy a major stake in Supercell. $14.3 billion in sales clocked by a Chinese e-commerce site in one wild day. In order to understand this topic more, we spoke to a few different people here in China. One of them was Vincent Wang. He's a senior associate at an executive search firm. He's originally Chinese, been based in Shanghai for many years, helping out everything from large international companies to local Chinese tech companies when recruiting key talent. And I also spoke with a few people, including Ah Zhen, who's based in Shanghai. He works at an internet company there as a product manager and front-end development team leader, as well as Ben, who's working at a tech media outlet based in Bangalore right now. But he spent a lot of his career in China, uh, different Chinese tech companies, and has also even worked briefly for a state-owned company. I think it's worth pointing out that the recruiting process at both multinational companies. And Chinese companies varies between obviously the firm, the size, and also the role itself. Most of my conversations were with technical people, so software engineers. And I think at least my take from my conversations is that for those roles, the process is a bit more standardized or concrete. Right, you're testing for very specific skill set. So I think in that sense, there's less variety if you're comparing. Like foreign companies and Chinese companies. 
Yeah, and I cover the other end of that spectrum, the business marketing type of role, where I would say the differences are larger in terms of how local tech companies act versus multinationals. When speaking to Vincent, one of the first things that came up was maybe my naive European view of it, but why do people even want to work in this type of very harsh environments? I'm just referring to everything we've heard about nine and six and stress and, you know, not having a life and all that. And he actually summed it up in a pretty interesting way. Tech companies can offer better financial income and faster or accelerated career growth at a rate that is not um, possible in other you know, traditional industries. I think especially for, you know, young talent, this is a naturally attractive job in nature when they recruit uh, senior executives from traditional industries. Many of the times they say, when you grow with us, you can actually build your own heritage. You can build your own history. In many cases, that is correct. I think they have a high level of tolerance and flexibility in terms of their business strategy, in terms of what they can do. That makes sense. Like if you think more broadly, startups offer you an opportunity as a young person. Let's say you're not strictly a technical role. The benefit of a startup is you get to try a lot of different tasks and you have a lot of different responsibilities. Whereas if you join a big corporate, whether it's Chinese or multinational, it's a size where you're more limited in your role and probably moving up is more difficult. So I think a tech company allows you to work on very fresh and most of the time consumer-facing products that can have a large impact and aren't as, let's say, established or hierarchical as like a bigger company, perhaps even a multinational firm, right? where you're kind of settling in at like nine to six type of schedule. Yeah, I mean, when we're talking about young people in the beginning of the careers, everything of this makes sense and there's nothing new in it. And we've talked about this topic extensively before. But uh, I actually didn't think about it from a senior executive perspective or senior talent perspective. So basically, Vincent said that, you know, a lot of people maybe have had a good career, made quite a lot of money, but now they're at the stage of their life where they really want to use all the skills they've built up and, you know, be able to use the wide range of it and do stuff much faster than within these large multi-international corporations. And that's why they sometimes, you know, feel it's worth uh, leaving that type of environment and maybe not have vacation anymore and work 24-7. But, you know, um, to you, but, you know, to use the word Vincent used, be able to kind of shape your own legacy. I know that sounds a little bit bombastic, but I actually never saw it from that perspective before. And I think also at a Chinese tech company, if you're a senior VP, you might feel like you have more authority and agency compared to, let's say, a multinational firm. Some MNCs are a bit more localized and better about this, but I do think that if you work at a company that's based overseas from its headquarters, usually they do want senior management to be someone who can communicate with headquarters. So that could be a foreigner, right, who's managing or at the top level at a foreign company in China. And perhaps that's because they can more easily understand what's happening elsewhere or it's easier for them to liaise with headquarters. I remember when we did our episode on, you know, Silicon Valley versus China in terms of attracting tech talent. And we spoke to people who are based in the U.S. and also Haigui, so people have come back. Uh, the idea of 
the bamboo ceiling was brought up, right? Like the fact that if you're back in China, perhaps, and if you start your own company, not only do you have your resources here and you can raise more money, perhaps, but you can also feel like, as you said, you can shape your own legacy. There's no barrier in terms of like, oh, you know, you, you're not really going to be able to communicate with the people back in like Paris or D.C. or San Francisco, right? Those aren't really barriers if you're working for a big Chinese tech company here. I think Chinese tech companies have a really good reputation as well, like both for a lot their products are used. And it depends on the company, obviously, but their products are used by millions of people. You can have a big impact. And some of them are going global now, too. So I think that they have it's kind of cooler or more prestigious to work at one. And I also, you know, when I spoke to Ajahn, he mentioned that because multinational firms have this reputation of not being as intense as Chinese Internet companies, that putting a multinational company on your CV can actually sometimes have a negative impact. When Chinese Internet companies recruit people who used to work at foreign firms, they sometimes have some misgivings. They're afraid they won't be accustomed to the high intensity of Chinese internet companies. At Chinese internet firms, the widespread practice of working overtime is very severe. So they'll ask you, are you okay with working overtime? At foreign companies, you rarely have to work overtime. And nowadays, people who join foreign firms are those who are seeking an easy and comfortable life or stable lifestyle. In the words of my boss, if it wasn't for your three years of experience doing your own startup, I wouldn't have wanted you. So from a personal experience, I totally buy into this. I mean, there's a lot of really good things having a job that's not taking all waking hours so you can focus on your family and other interests of life. But at the same time, you also have phases throughout your life where you really just want to dig super deep and just do stuff. And I think what we're seeing here is actually just that different types of environments fit different type of personality profiles. I mean, I've got friends that are really, really successful and very smart and all that, but some of them really love the environment of a multinational, not because they get time over to chase their interests, but because they like that type of environment where you have tens or hundreds of thousands of people. And as a senior exec, your main role is about making sure stuff doesn't break and, you know, leading these big teams and managing structures more than actually doing real work, if, you know, I'm being maybe a little bit too harsh. While on the tech sector or in fast-growing companies, a senior exec is close to a junior level employee, which is you're there to produce, you're there to launch this next marketing campaign or talk to this partner, get it done and just launch it within a day and, you know, maybe fail and then redo everything again. So it's a totally different type of environment and how you work on a daily basis. I think a, I think a way to look at it is that if a company has been existing for a very long time, whether it is Chinese or foreign, then the role of the employee, especially senior executives, but also any levels below that, is to make sure we can keep on delivering the thing we've done for such a long time. Way more culture and processes and all that built into the walls. You're supposed to safeguard the longevity of this company, let's say whether it is coffee you're making or clothes or doesn't matter. 
But when it comes to Chinese tech companies, obviously, they have zero longevity. Just look at Luckin Coffee or Pinduoduo. A few years ago, they didn't even exist. So obviously, you know, their only thing is about can we scale from zero to 100 as freaking fast as possible? And if they survive over time, of course, they will also transform into these slower moving type of companies. I also think that at a startup, obviously, people really value how much work you can put into your role. If they see that you've been at a multinational firm for, let's say, five years, they'll wonder, like, you know, why did you stay there for five years? Is it because you were comfortable? Or were you working on an interesting research and development project? Like, I think they'll be curious, at least, like, why you spent so much time at a relatively slow-paced firm, right? Especially if you're joining a company where you're expected to do 996, which Ajahn at is right now. Like he's doing, he's working at a 996 company. They might want to manage your expectations, I think, if you're going from like very slow pace into like an intense experience. But I mean, that being said, I did talk to someone else who's, um, he's like a machine learning engineer. He believes, but he's like a fresh grad who just got his first job. He believes that, you know, Chinese companies, no matter where, what your background is, if you're talented, they'll want you. So, I mean, I guess I'm just saying, like, I would, I think, like, there's some truth to what Ajahn said. Um, But obviously, if you're a really talented, let's say, AI software engineer from Google, I don't think a Chinese tech company is not going to hire you because Google's foreign. Yeah, definitely. And when I spoke to a few people on my side about this topic, I think the single most different thing was about the recruiting process. So how is the experience different for anyone when they go through a recruitment process with a multinational versus a local tech company? And here's what Vincent had to say about that. The, the processes are totally different, especially, um, you know, the, for example, the foreign companies, they tend to have a very structured interview process. They're, they're, they're uh, 100% aware of um, what, what type of people they want, what type of people they, they need. Yeah, and, and in that sense, um, established multinational companies, they tend to have a better people care practice compared with uh, especially local high-tech companies. The Chinese uh, tech companies, they tend to have a lower bar for hiring people. But um, if they want to survive here, they would have a more stricter requirement on performance. Part of me wonders if this is a size difference because the machine learning engineer that I mentioned earlier, Wu Quan, he kind of broke down from his knowledge what they call, like I guess, well, they call them da chang and xiao chang. So like basically delineating the Chinese tech industry into like big, larger outfits and smaller ones, smaller ones being like unestablished mm-hmm. startups, right? And da chang or the bigger ones would be things like BAT, Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent. And so Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent, they've been around for, you know, years, for a long time. And their process, he said, is much more standardized for students, at least. And I think students are recruited in a very different way from, in Chinese, you would say, from society. Like, I think the hiring process is quite different, but he was saying that for those bigger companies, BAT, they'll have, you know, groups of students go in, a very set process, like, oh, you have to do the online test first, and then you have these in-person interviews where they also test you on your coding knowledge, and it's pretty standard. But for smaller places like startups, it could be anything. It doesn't mean it's easier or more difficult, but it's just not as planned or structured 
So I wonder if it's because if you are a foreign, like a multinational company in China, you're probably already of a certain size. There's obviously foreign tech startups in China, but I think it's much, much tougher for them to survive. And in that sense, I wonder if these differences that we're talking about, part of it has to do with just the size of the company. Yeah, actually, I think the key element here is that usually the multinationals business is much more stable. If they know they are looking for, let's say, a marketing manager, they know that role is going to be there for a while. And someone else has done that role before for many years. And they know exactly what they expect from you. They know what type of team you need to enter, what type of interpersonal skills you need to have, what hard skills you need to have, etc. While a Chinese tech company is way more fast moving. I mean, I heard a bunch of stories from people we interviewed off the record were saying that, you know, when they were interviewing for Chinese tech companies, they went through that whole battery of different knowledge tests. And when they started the first day, the organization had already changed. So they got a totally different role that they even didn't even test for. And that apparently is a very common thing that happens just due to the nature and the speed of how fast these companies change. Yeah, that's interesting. I did hear about like another friend who had applied for a job, I believe at ByteDance, and it was very similar where the role wasn't really defined even during the interview process. I guess on the technical side... You know, what Wu Quinn said is that with BAT, they do now hire very specialized roles within, let's say, software engineering. I wonder, you know, as these companies mature, maybe we'll see much more specialized or specific recruiting processes where they do say this is a specific role. We're looking for this particular skill set versus for a company that's still quickly growing. It makes sense that it would be more fast and loose. Also, did anyone talk to you about just like salary negotiation during your talks? Because I feel like my sense, obviously, we can't get like a comprehensive look at this, but it seemed like there's not a lot of back and forth of salary negotiation. Whereas I feel like, in the, at least for my personally, I feel like if I don't negotiate at all, like I'm being a sucker, like I should definitely just keep asking for more. Or if they don't give me more salary, I should ask for more vacation or some other kind of benefit. Yeah, well, actually, I had I had one person talking about this, and he said basically that uh, it's a little bit different versus MNCs because in Chinese tech companies everything's negotiable except for two very key things like what overtime pay and vacation, not negotiable in any circumstance. Yeah, it seems like with vacation they just go along with labor laws, but like the minimum they have to offer with labor laws. This is actually more telling about the cultural differences between local tech companies and MNCs. So, so for example, from the maybe a more European or Western perspective, they would put way more energy into the interview process, recruitment process, personality tests and whatnot, because when you are hired, you're going to be there for a long time doing, doing a specific type of role and, and they will invest long term in you. And while, you know, in the local tech perspective, because everything's moving so fast, they worry more about just bringing you in as soon as possible. And actually, it is during the probation period where you get to prove yourself and where they actually get to check all these soft skills. If you work together good with the team, if you can bring something to the table, they're way more open to hire candidates without a lot of vetting. But on the other hand, they are not afraid to kind of fire you pretty fast during the probation period if you're not a good fit. And I just get a feeling that the candidates 
candidates also understand this. It just works in a different way. Actually, Ben, who I spoke to, and he said that some companies follow like a hire fast, fire fast policy. So kind of exactly what you said, where you hire people quickly, maybe because you don't have enough HR resources, and then you test them out during the probation period. Yeah, that's the nice angle on it, right? The more harsh angle on it is, and I think that is true, that if you look at a lot of these tech companies, they have a lot of very young staff, including the HR departments. So they have a lot of people maybe not experienced in the more traditional types of recruitment processes combined with they usually are a company and have a type of business where almost no one has any idea how it's going to be in a year. Like with that type of environment, then obviously, you know, there's only one way to solve it, which is just throw people in and see who sticks. Yeah, and I think people really, they don't value enough outstanding HR because I think that But my sense is that human resources in China, a lot of it's very recruitment focused versus career development for people who are already there. And I think Mm -hmm. I'm a bit spoiled because I'm thinking about really well-funded tech companies in the U.S. But I remember like, you know, HR there, a lot of them are dedicated to just making people's everyday work life better or happier, whether it's something as menial as like making sure the snacks or drinks that you want in the snack room are there to just thinking about even professional talks or workshops that people might be interested in for career development purposes. I don't really see that as often here, but it could just be that people don't value HR for that enough worldwide, period, you know. But I think that like I still haven't really experienced great HR in China so far. Although I do think about things like, you know, when we talk to people who worked at Huawei, then there's this level system and they also have more intense employee training. And then I also know Tencent has their own department, which is responsible for company culture. And they'll even put out like internal magazines and videos and media and also think about employee events. You know, perhaps at, a, at these bigger tech companies, they do have and maybe they don't they just don't call them HR. They do have dedicated teams that think about. Uh, employee activities or let's say even if it's not career development it could just be like how to move up in the company which is part of it right um yeah i really get the feeling that uh, a lot of these tech companies are trying to do better or and or emulate maybe silicon valley companies but across all the conversations at least i had in this topic it's still very apparent that the chinese tech companies are very immature here and you know i've heard also nightmare stories about stuff that recruiters ask during an interview things that you would deem very inappropriate in the western world and things in the united states you actually would get sued over yeah i actually had a conversation with ben about hiring women and this is what he said a lot of like you know, HRs, actually, what I heard is they have prejudice against, especially women who are in a marriage, but you know has not given birth yet. So they tend to not hire those people because they were just you know they got the job and then they have to take a maternity leave or something. So I actually wasn't surprised when Ben and I had this conversation. In fact, I think I kind of maybe even prompted him because we were just talking about recruiting, right? And I've witnessed firsthand a lot of cases where women are asked specifically about this you know I remember once I was in a co-working space and there was a job interview happening right next to me and it was a man and a woman interviewing another woman and they just asked like oh we see that you're married um, but you don't have children yet are you planning to have kids soon 
And she just flat out rejected it like three times. Like, no, 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 I'm not. You know, we don't have those plans. And I've heard this from multiple people, not just in preparation for this podcast episode, but just in general throughout my time working in China, that this is something employers will pay attention to, to avoid having to pay for people's maternity leave. Yeah, and actually pretty recently I had an interview with a really top talent. And and honestly, I was a little bit shocked that she would want to work for me and my startup. Now, maybe that just sounds weird, but I actually asked her, like, you have all these different options. Why are you ready to go to such a small startup right now compared to like the big tech giants with the stock options you've received before? And she was actually very honest in her response saying, you know what, uh, I got, I just got married we're probably going to get a kid next year or later this year so i'm trying to find a short-term gig right now because i won't get any good long-term gigs considering my personal situation and that's kind of weird isn't it i mean she's smart and she's awesome so why wouldn't a big tech firm want her yeah so i've heard people defend this attitude by saying that well you know in china maternity leave is three months so it's a really long time which is why employers are worried about this. But yeah, it's, you know, since I'm American, for me, this is something that would clearly be a case for a lawsuit. You know, the government's very aware of this issue. In fact, earlier this year, the government released a notice um, emphasizing how gender discrimination during recruitment or hiring is prohibited. The problem is, though, like I think with all of these official notices or laws, it really depends on how it's enforced. And I think at the moment it's still quite normal Um, for women to encounter these questions, especially if they're at the right age or if they see that they're married. Yeah, and actually in my conversation with Vincent, we talked a little bit about overall uh, why recruitment processes are less mature in China in terms of both topics you mentioned, but also just in terms of them hiring much faster and and the differences to MNCs. And and actually, I think the reason goes way deeper than just the word cultural differences. And he had a good point about this. On one hand, it's actually a bit, uh, it could be frustrating to work with uh, the local tech companies because uh, uh, in the first place, many tech companies, the leaders from uh, you know, the senior management uh, people, if they are, for example, the founders or the, the founding members, uh, sometimes they are not really very well trained. It's possible that you know many of the founders of the tech company, they are not really a very well trained people manager. Yeah, I don't, I think maybe it's because of my background, but I, I feel like part of the issue is not really about training people to not select for, at least in part, by appearance. So I'll just share like a, an example that I was, I was pretty shocked. I, I guess I can share too. But I remember when I just moved to China in 2014, I was actually at a multinational company. So uh, I think part of it is just depends on the company culture and also who you hire for HR. But I remember I used to sit next to the, the person who was in charge of recruiting and she was going through a stack of CVs on her desk. And in China, it's very common for people to put their photo on their CV. So she was going through them and kind of asking us and everyone around her whether or not we thought, you know, so-and-so is attractive. Like just going through the stack of CVs and judging them and asking for our feedback on whether or not they're attractive, which I thought was incredibly unprofessional. But I think no one else seemed shocked. And I had just arrived in China and, and I was just like, you know, what is this culture, uh, this corporate culture that I'm in at this company? And it was a foreign company, so I think I was even more shocked that 
it was different from what I was used to. And then I think another example that for me made a deep impression was I was at a Chinese company. We had a WeChat group for all the employees, and I think we just hired somebody new, and it was a female. And she hadn't even joined the group yet because she hadn't joined us officially. And people were discussing whether or not she was pretty. Oh, she has like short hair. And then they would tag someone be like, oh, isn't that your type? And people were just joking around. And I remember feeling really uncomfortable because I thought like, oh, I wonder if similar discussions were had before I joined. Or just, you know, it, it's always really crappy to think that people are at least in part weighing your value as a colleague based on how you look. You know, like what if they don't like how you look? Like then what would they say then? So... I, I think like I think when it comes to behavior like this, it is people centric behavior. I.e., people are doing these things or writing these comments. Right. The the only difference between a good organization and a worse one is just that in a good organization, management have processes and guidelines saying this type of behavior is strictly prohibited. Period. And it's not per se, about education or training, but it is definitely about management telling their employees what is okay and not okay to do. And I think that's the one of the main differences. We've seen even multinationals here in China grow very fast over a long time. And we're seeing a huge talent base here with a lot of smart people, of course, but maybe usually sometimes less experienced in terms of just being younger and worked less. And then you maybe behave in a way that you behaved in school, which in actually in school isn't acceptable either. But no matter what, you know, you don't have an adult saying, like, this is just not okay. I mean, I think part of the issue, and obviously I'm also complicit because in that WeChat group, I didn't say, you know, why are we discussing her looks? Is she a good, is she going to be a good colleague or not? You know, so I think like, you know, everyone who works in the company plays a role in shaping the company culture, but also normalizing these things. And I think, like I said before, I don't necessarily think this is just China's issue, but I think here I have seen cases where it's so blatant in a way where it's clear that people just don't realize how shocking or harmful it can be. A few months ago or last year, there was a a lot of media reports kind of pointing out job advertisements, and some of them would specifically say, we want men for this. You know, I think it was a software engineering job. And I also think Alibaba got in trouble because they published some recruitment ads promising applicants, you know, beautiful girls as coworkers. And so I think that sometimes when these things happen in China, it's like, wow, people at some level, like if they're doing recruiting ads, they really don't have this awareness of how that can be perceived and how that can be demeaning, you know, discriminatory towards women, kind of weighing them on their looks or kind of emphasizing that even though, let's say, with the WeChat comment, the group, the company group chat that I just mentioned, I brought that up to someone else and they're like, oh, they're just kidding. It's just a joke. So I think, you know, with the job ads, clearly, I think for me, at least that crosses a red line. But for other people with the joking around, they really, like you said, maybe a lot of them are treating it like college or they're not treating it as like a workplace and treating these people as their coworkers, which is another issue, right? And kind of say like, oh, it's just a joke, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I think this topic combined with 96 and the topics we've discussed before really showcases, I think, the main cultural difference here. And now I'm not necessarily only talking about MNC versus local tech company, but just company to company, that there are just different corporate cultures around there. The key element in this is how do you view your employees? Are they just a bunch of 
like numbers there. And I think turning back to 996, I think that is the key reason why we saw a, a reaction against it. Because at the end of the day, this is the topic about respect and decency. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And this is, I think, one of the very few topics where it's not going bottom up. It is the responsibility of the management to define the right culture and showcase how to operate and show all the young people that work for you how they should act, what is acceptable and not. Yeah, and I think at this point, my sense is that a lot of Chinese tech companies are still developing what they mean by their own unique corporate culture. We can see that Huawei has really invested in that. But in talking to people about recruitment, Ajahn actually mentioned that he feels, having interviewed and worked at both Chinese tech companies and multinational firms, he said that he believes that foreign companies will emphasize their unique culture or talk about it during the recruitment process a lot more than Chinese companies. And I think probably as companies become more developed or even as they compete more with each other for tech talent, they'll kind of see culture, they'll maybe value a bit more. Because I know that Alibaba, for example, and Ben brought this up because Ben used to work at Alibaba. During their interview process, they have someone called a wenwei guan, like a sniffing, like a smelling person. I mean, it translates really poorly. But basically, this person's someone who's worked at Alibaba, let's say for a few years, five years, and have a good grasp of the company culture. They'll sit and chat with you just to get like your vibe and to see if, you know, what kind of person you are, understand if you're a team player and basically judge whether or not you'll fit in with Alibaba's culture. And I think this is pretty unique to Alibaba. But I think, you know, in some interviews I've done in the past, let's say in the U.S., um, spending some time chatting with your future team or just doing something very casual. That's not like, a, I'm going to test you on this. Can you do it? Do this task. Can you complete it? But just chatting and seeing what kind of person you are and whether you'll fit in with the team and what the company's about. Perhaps that'll become more common in China too and not just be like, oh, that's like a Alibaba thing. They'll just be like, oh yeah, making sure that like you're an okay person and you'll work well in our team perhaps will become more popular. In one of my conversations with a foreign person right now working at a Chinese tech company, he mentioned that being the main difference in interviewing foreign talent or, and or Chinese talent, where he said that, you know, when he interviews foreign talent, they expect more to just be a conversation back and forth. And both parties get to learn something and get something from that conversation. While in a lot of situations with local tech talent, the expectation is only for you to sit down, ask your questions, get them answered from the talent, and then they leave. Actually, I asked Vincent about this, you know, with the micro thesis of the new younger generation require way more and require to be respected in a different way by the employer. That's where we're seeing the reaction against 9 and 6. And I was asking him whether, you know, he thinks this will change rapidly now, now when we have a movement against 9 and 6. And uh, unfortunately, his response was both grim and a little bit positive, but the grim part being that he said, you know, like the competition is too high 
for great jobs at, at, at these tech companies and they are in a highly competitive space. So unfortunately, that's not going to change. On the other hand, he mentioned that he's seeing a lot of local startups, much smaller ones with younger founders that are having way more flexible type of work environment and are treating their employees in a totally different way, i.e. letting them working from home or having more flexible work hours. They're still performance driven. It's not that. It's just that they seem to be respecting their employees more, you know, just saying, here's your KPI. I trust you. Do whatever you want to reach this KPI. If you want to work from home, work from home. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, I think with these topics, especially in such a varied industry, it's kind of tough to have like a rule defining like, oh, if it's this kind of Chinese company, you should expect XYZ treatment. But I do think like, you know, there's definitely the stereotype of having a better work-life balance at a foreign firm. Because I remember with the 996 episode, I spoke to someone like, oh, who was involved in the 996.ICU project, which was about, you know, kind of raising awareness about uh, working overtime without pay. And I was like, oh, um, you're really, you're pretty involved in this project that you know, 996.ICU project, are you working overtime right now? And he kind of just laughed and said, no, I'm working at a foreign firm, so I work like nine to six. Yeah, I have a good work-life balance. So I think there is that expectation, at least, like if you work for a big foreign tech company, you'll have, you'll be able to have your own life or more time outside of work. So, of course, we're not saying that all MNCs are great and all Chinese tech companies are bad. It's not good versus evil. And, of course, they're really shitty MNCs with really bad culture and they are great Chinese tech companies. But I think what we discovered during this episode is just the fact that we have, we're seeing different types of companies in different stages and they look at talent in a different way. And I think it's important to know that, you know, one trying to get a job in any industry and kind of understanding where they come from. And with them, I mean the company. And, and the reason why we're talking about company culture and 9 and 6 and respect to talents is not because we're only trying to be idealistic, but I think it's a very telling thing about the new generation of people. And therefore, it's a very important topic, both if you're a talent looking for a job, but also if you're a company thinking about how to actually attract the new generation of people out there. So as always, it feels like Whenever we chat about a topic, we're only scratching the surface. And I think for this episode on recruitment, that's how I felt at least, which is, you know, you talk to a bunch of people. I looked at comments on MyMy, which is an app. I guess you could compare it maybe to LinkedIn, but it's basically work-focused. A lot of it's on the internet industry in China to kind of see what people say, maybe making tips or sharing their recruitment or interview experience. It'd be great to hear from more people, learn about more experiences. It's, there's a lot of variation, like we mentioned, so it's always great to get new perspectives and hear about other people's experiences. And with that, thank you for listening to this episode of Digitally China. We'll be back in two weeks. And in the meantime, please feel free to reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter. 